elder abuse is a very serious public health concern. It's estimated now that about one in ten older adults in the United States will experience some form of elder mistreatment. Not only does talking about aging need reframing, but elder abuse does as well. We need a way to talk about elder abuse that empowers older adults. Not only does it leave folks feeling hopeful, but it really validates what they're experiencing and empowers them. Hello, I'm Peter Caldas, CEO of the American Society on Aging, and I welcome you to Bylines, ASA's newest podcast interviewing authors of articles from generations. Today, we'll be speaking with authors featured in our spring 2020 edition of Generations, which is on taking action against elder mistreatment. Author Dr. Laura Mosqueda is the Dean of the Keck School of Medicine at the University of Southern California and Director of the National Center on Elder Abuse, also based at USC. Ali Newman is Project Coordinator of the Reframing Elder Abuse Project at NCEA, and Eden Ruiz Lopez is the NCEA's Assistant Deputy Director. Welcome to Bylines, Laura, Ali, and Eden. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So today we're talking about your recent article for the Spring 2020 Generations called Reframing Elder Abuse. Laura, can we start with you and just perhaps give us an overview of the National Center on Elder Abuse? Yeah, I'm happy to. I guess I really ought to start by thanking ASA and the John A. Hartford Foundation for this opportunity. And timing is great because this is just in time for World Elder Abuse Awareness Day on June 15th. Now, the NCEA, National Center on Elder Abuse, it's, it's a national resource center. We're dedicated to preventing elder abuse and promoting the just treatment of older adults. And, and as I think many of the people who are listening to this know, elder abuse is a very serious public health concern. It's estimated now that about one in ten older adults in the United States will experience some form of elder mistreatment. And we all know the fastest growing segment of the population are older adults, particularly over the age of 85. So unfortunately, uh, this is a problem that's here to stay for, for quite a while. But we also know there are steps we can take to prevent and address um, elder abuse and mistreatment. So really the NCEA is spreading the word on how we can act together. Um, we're providing members of the public as well as professionals with information that they need to detect and prevent elder abuse. And we do this through a variety of mechanisms, uh, public awareness campaigns like World Elder Abuse Awareness Day, information and referral services so people can contact us directly with their questions, um, we have a very active website with lots of material on it. We partner with national organizations in trainings, publications, et cetera. Great uh, relationships, for example, with National Association of Social Work, National Consumer Voice for Long-Term Care, and, and many others. So we really kind of harness the synergy um, um, among different uh, national organizations. And we can share the latest in elder abuse research um, uh, and uh, issues related to national policy through listservs, the website publications. Our website is ncea.acl.gov. Um, and luckily for me, 
because I'm both the director of the NCEA and the dean of the Keck School of Medicine at USC, which is where the NCEA is housed, we're really able to harness the academic expertise that we have as a university, which really helps the NCEA succeed with establishing partnerships and reaching wide audiences and really accessing the latest research that we can then, as I say, translate into English <laughs> for, for the public. So we've got a whole team who helps us accomplish this work. You already mentioned my colleagues who are here today, Eden Ruiz Lopez, um, who's Assistant Deputy Director, and Ali Newman, who's the project coordinator for this specific reframing, reframing elder abuse project. So, um, uh, so that's a, a little bit of an overview about our center. That's very helpful, and thank you for uh, leading this work. Ali, let me ask you, what does reframing mean uh, in the context of aging in general? Well, thank you, Peter. Um, thanks again for this opportunity. So um, reframing in the context of aging, I think that first it's important to start with talking about how there's just so many different misconceptions about aging out there. A lot of lay people think about aging as a process of solely of decline and deterioration. There's also a lot of otherizing of older adults where people disassociate themselves from aging. But we, as people who work in the field of aging, we know that this is not true. Everyone is aging, so there's no reason to disassociate ourselves with aging. And, and we also know that there's extreme heterogeneity within the older adult population. Aging is a spectrum, and and there's a wide variety of older uh, older adults out there with various needs and abilities. So reframing um, is about changing our communications on aging, so that we can we can um, avoid cueing that those misconceptions out. It's sort of like a redirection, so that we can instead of cueing those types of misconceptions related to deterioration and otherizing, we can promote more informed awareness of aging topics such as elder abuse or demographic shifts in our society and more understanding of solutions uh, to those topics. So I'm wondering, in the context of reframing, how does elder abuse get reframed? So just like with aging, there's um, a lot of misconceptions related to elder abuse as well. Um, at the NCEA, we've really um, gotten to know those misconce misconceptions firsthand, and we realized them very early on. I mean, for instance, um, at the NCEA, we often, um, in spreading awareness on elder abuse, we go to public health and we table um, about the topic of elder abuse. And it was such a struggle to even talk about our issue with folks. Um, people did not want to come to our table. And then if they did come to our table, the moment we said elder abuse, um, they would immediately disengage or um, there would be a lot of misconceptions, like I said, where people were individualizing the issue and they say, well, that could never happen to me. Um, elder abuse can never happen to me or my family, um, or they used to um, say things like, oh, those poor older adults, and really deny older adults agency, um, um, and instead kind of look at them as objects of care. So um, that's when we realized at the NCA that 
not only just talking about aging need reframing, but elder abuse does as well. We need a way to talk about elder abuse that empowers older adults so, we, so that the public doesn't think of them just as objects of care. And um, we need a way that also explains our issue and its solutions. Allie, the article does a nice job of drawing parallels between that reframing and uh, social justice movements. So I'm wondering, how did you uh, rely on the work of the Frameworks Institute to help inform and help reframe elder abuse? Yeah, that's a great question, Peter. Thanks for asking. So um, the Frameworks Institute um, is an agency. Um, they're a nonprofit think tank that conducts communications research on social issues. And um, um, we had seen the work that they did with reframing aging. And um, just from our experience, um, experiences um, at the NCA, we knew that elder abuse um, uh, needed some research as well. So Frameworks Institute did research on, on the public understandings. And they really confirmed a lot of what we were experiencing, this kind of um, paternalism um, toward older adults, thinking about them as objects of care, this individualizing of the issue of elder abuse. Um, so we worked with Frameworks Institute to really um, uh, validate um, what we already knew about public understandings, but also um, um, they um, were able to investigate a new way of talking about elder abuse that can avoid those, um, cueing those um, paternalistic notions and, and individualization and victimization type language. So they found some, they investigated a new communication strategy with us, um, and they found that actually talking about justice um, elder abuse as a justice issue was a lot more productive with the public. It really primed people to think about elder abuse as a collective issue instead of an individual one. And then they also found that utilizing a metaphor of a structure with beams of support to protect us all as we age um, was a lot more effective in promoting various solutions that were needed to, to address and prevent elder abuse. So um, Frameworks Institute um, really worked hand-in-hand hand with us um, to figure out a research-based communication strategy um, for us. And um, they also created um, a talking elder abuse with us and a talking elder abuse toolkit with us in partnership um, that really um, shows people how to apply the communication strategy that they found. Language is so important, and it's been interesting to watch in short order the impact of the Frameworks Institute on how we even use language to describe our aging work. I think it's been a terrific effort, but it's going to take time. Eden, let me ask you, can you describe some of these tactics and the communication strategies that you're using and maybe a little bit more about the uh, toolkit? Of course. So just to take a step back, I'd like to share with you more about the work that we undertook with the Frameworks Institute. It was quite a process, but a good one. So we did go about this manner within three different phases. And the first phase really entailed communicating with different stakeholders across the country, starting in the fall of 2016, 
And then it eventually evolved into a full-fledged project in early 2017. So during the first phase of the project, the Frameworks Institute conducted field and elder abuse expert interviews that, in general, uncovered that members of the public don't necessarily understand why elder abuse occurs, or even the toll that it takes on society, nor how to overcome it. So moving along to the second phase of the project, the NCEA had an opportunity to test the effectiveness of applying the communication strategy. And we provided extensive feedback on the Talking Elder Abuse Toolkit before it was actually published. Now, for the past three years, we've been involved in the third phase, and we've been sharing the toolkit as much as possible. The NCEA is really looked to as the reframing elder abuse application experts, and a majority of our team has gone through several rounds of training so that we could talk the reframing elder abuse talk, so to speak, and of course, encourage professionals to utilize the tool. We have a number of partners, and I have to tell you that they're all very encouraged, as we are, about this project. And they fully embrace the reframing messaging and have tremendously helped us with spreading the word. So we even have an advisory board, and we have membership organizations represented from all across the country, including ASA, um, AARP, AGS, GSA, the National Adult Protective Services Association, and the National Association of Social Work. And again, they've all been very committed to adopting and disseminating reframing elder abuse, and we wouldn't be able to make the reach that we have without their assistance. So in terms of the question of talking elder abuse toolkit, um, and if it's available to anyone in the aging sector, We've been very excited to disseminate this toolkit over the past few years. And what it does is provide professionals who talk el about elder abuse with resources and tips to actually improve the public's awareness of elder abuse and, of course, enhance one's understanding of the associated issues. So it contains samples that apply reframing concepts to guide professionals, and there's no cost attached to it. It's free for everyone to access. If you go to our website, ncea.acl.gov, and type in the search bar of our website, Reframing Elder Abuse, it should be among one of the first search results that populates. And there you could access the toolkit itself containing swamp of elder abuse guides, a glossary toolkit, access to a free video lecture series that we have a free code listed for, and one last thing that I'd like to mention about this Talking Elder Abuse Toolkit is it's really important to note that the toolkit is designed for professionals to change the public discourse. It really can be tricky to know how to apply it and really understand the appropriate places where it works. And if people do have reservations, we do encourage that they at least figure out how to apply it subtly. For many of us in the field, I know this has been a big adjustment, and the Frameworks Institute has suggested it will take a decade or more to adopt. So if we expected for this newer way of communication to resonate with many audiences, we had to experiment with applying it. And Ali and other team members um, have been wonderful at figuring out what places in our website reframing messaging strategy can apply, and they've worked extensively to create new tools and resources 
So if anyone has any questions, they could not only try and contact us through our website for more technical assistance, but they could reach out to us at ncea at med.usc.edu. Eden, let me ask you, uh, can you share maybe one or two uh, samples or some examples of language choice or language changes that the toolkit uh, offers? Sure, so I would be happy to do that. So, Ali, please jump in if I'm uh, misinterpreting anything. Um, so, no, for example, yeah. You, I'll, I'll, sure. I could let you go in. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Eden. Um, no, I think that's a great question, Peter, and that's something that we wanted to talk about today is there have been a number of organizations who have already embraced reframing. Um, so um, I know that the Administration for Community Living, their Office on Elder Justice and Adult Protective Services, they reframed their website. Um, and they did so by just removing a lot of the vulnerability language. So we found that a lot of um, um, organizations in their communications um, were repeating vulnerable older adults. It was, um, they kind of used it as a descriptor of older adults. And um, so um, websites like the Administration for Community Living's um, website, they actually removed that type of language. And their pictures as well, um, they had a lot of pictures that were um, about, um, they were showing victims of elder abuse repeatedly. And that's okay, but when overemphasized, it really portrays this message of, older adults as objects of care and um, as um, um, deteriorating. And so um, they actually um, removed a lot of those photos so they are showing a more accurate portrayal of aging as well. So um, there's been um, various um, organizations that have really embraced reframing. And um, um, one simple way to kind of um, start reframing is just to incorporate that value of justice. Um, so by starting off a conversation um, um, by saying something like, we all deserve to be treated equally, no matter our age or ability. So that's a really kind of short and sweet way to prime people toward thinking about this as a collective issue. And I know at the NCA, uh, we do this all the time. We've really internalized um, reframing. Uh, we have... Um, for example, like we have an information and referral um, services that um, that Dr. Mosqueda mentioned, and um, we had um, we have a lot of folks that contact us and they're trying to report about an abusive situation. And um, before um, we had canned responses where we would just say something like, "I'm so sorry that you went through this." Um, unscrupulous people sometimes target vulnerable older adults. So right there, we were using vulnerable uh, vulnerability as a descriptor of older adults and focusing on the victim and the perpetrator. But now we say something like, I'm so sorry you went through this. You know, um, no one deserves um, this type of treatment. We all deserve um, um, to be treated fairly no matter our age or ability. And then we po point them to you know, the information and referral they need to contact Adult Protective Services or any other agency. And just the transformation in our communications 
um, um, it just shows um, how we've embraced reframing and um, the people who contact us, they leave the phone call or the email just feeling so much more thankful um, for the resources that we provided, with that, provided them with, more engaged, and feeling less hopeless and hopeful. Um, so reframing is, is really taking off, and uh, we hope that um, um, it continues to do so. Over time. Those are, Allie, those are tremendous outcomes. And it strikes me that not only does it leave folks feeling hopeful, but it really validates what they're experiencing and empowers them, right? And so exactly. ASA is really proud to be part of this effort, as, as Eden mentioned, uh, in particular because we see this as an opportunity to do what we're doing in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, which is to say you, you, you shouldn't only preach about it, but you should actually internalize it as well. And I'm really excited that this year uh, ASA is really going to focus on all the kinds of things you described internally as well as amplifying this good work. So, so thank you for, for sharing that with us. So in the, in the last sort of few minutes of our chat today, Laura, I wanted to go back to you and ask you, you know, in what way do you expect this work to continue in the future? Well, I think uh, we're really heartened by some of the successes that Allie just outlined. And at the same time, um, we, we recognize that you can't boil the ocean, right? Um, so we, we found that the reframing, it's not an all or nothing approach. If everybody just finds one little thing they can do differently, or more, we're always happy to do more, but even one little thing you can do differently with reframing, it's amazing what a big difference it, it can make. And so the project is going to continue to mobilize fields, uh, public communications on, on, on the elder abuse fields, public communications on elder abuse. We really have just... <laughs> found religion on this one, you know. We, we, see it, we see it working and transforming how we think about elder abuse. And we think that if we can continue to work on this mass dissemination, continue to work with our partners, that the reframing project will help engage the public and allow them to make more informed decisions when it comes to preventing and addressing elder abuse. And particularly now when I think we're in an election cycle, the more informed the public can be, the more aware um, that they can be of elder abuse, because now they've been able to hear it and understand it in ways they haven't before, it might also influence voting decisions, which then influences policy decisions. So we really encourage the ASA members uh, to get started, if you haven't already, with the reframing project. Um, and again, to visit, visit our website, ncea.acl.gov, so you can see the resources that we have available for everybody. Thank you for sharing that, Laura. ASA is going to make all those links available on our site as well, so people have easy access to how they can help and contribute to reframing elder abuse. Uh, with that, Laura, Allie, and Eden, thank you so much, uh, not just for today's conversation, but for your contribution to this edition of Generations. And Laura, you know, to the Generations Editorial Advisory Board and to the field of aging at large, we at ASA really appreciate all of your continued and passionate advocacy for older adults. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you to... 
Thank you to all the ASA members for listening. And please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast online or through your app store to hear the next episode of Bylines. Thank you for joining us.